0: All right. This is Ira from Iron Sports. We're talking to Jared Diamond, author of Swing Kings, the inside story of baseball's home run revolution by William Morrow. Morrow he's all, Jared is the baseball writer for The Wall Street Journal. Uh, thanks a lot for coming on Ira Sports, Jared
1: yeah thanks so much for having me. I hope you're doing uh, staying safe and healthy
0: out there. yeah same to you, same to you well, Jared, it was uh definitely to take my mind off everything. i read your read the book Swing Kings. What a book uh it's available of course on amazon and and on, on you can order it on Kindle and every everything. It's a tremendous book. But I learned a lot in this book. I mean, this is one of these things where I'm like, I can't. And I follow sports. I have a sports show. I should know everything. And and I learned things in this book that I had no idea that was going on. And I guess part of this book was meant because you were yourself was searching for the perfect swing. And it's sort of like you know we're down here in West Palm Beach. We're talking about golfers, but that sort of drove you to 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 analyze the whole swing industry in baseball.
1: Yeah, I've been. Look, I think I think anyone that's ever played baseball or any sport probably at some point in his or her life had a day when everything clicked, uh, when uh, they had that great game on the mound or scored 20 points in a basketball game. And for me, playing baseball my whole life, I had a day when I was about 15 years old when I, uh, for reasons I'll never understand, had a perfect swing and just had an unbelievable day. I had launched the ball three times in a row into places on the field I had never hit a ball before or after, and it sort of haunted me over the rest of my life trying to recapture that day, that moment. Now, you know, I I grow up, I end up covering baseball for the Wall Street Journal and I start hearing about this cottage industry that's sprouting up of these outsider, independent swing doctors that are somehow working with professional players, even though they themselves never played pro baseball, <laughs> never coached in pro baseball, and yet had the opportunity to work with major league players. And I thought this is a fascinating story that should be told. And if and maybe if I'm lucky, I'll get the chance to, to learn a few things myself. And fortunately, these coaches were nice enough to let me get in the cage, uh, embarrass myself, but they didn't you know, admit how terrible I was and tried to help me. Uh, and there was a reason for it. Uh, I still get to play baseball once in a while. It's a perk of the job. We have a a annual New York media versus Boston media baseball game, one at Yankee Stadium, one at Fenway Park. It's a real thrill, and I desperately wanted to try to hit a ball far in one of those games, and uh, I can't exactly I can't reveal uh, how I did. They'll just have to read the book and find out.
0: <laughs> so, to help our listeners in terms of what it is that the, the classic baseball swing can we say is the Ty Cobb, the George Brett, the Wade Boggs, that type of swing, the downward swing, and why did that develop to become the quote swing of baseball that we've used for hundreds of years?
1: Yeah, that's the swing that we were. I, I was certainly taught in the league, and I bet that's been the case with us. But everyone that's played Little League for the last, you know, seventy-five years. Has probably been heard at some point. You want to swing down. You want to hit the top of the ball. You want to stay short to the ball. And then the ideal was to hit the ball hard on the ground or low on a line, up the middle, ideally. And that was sort of the ideal swing. And this was taught by everybody back in the day, including uh, the first real celebrity hitting coach, Charlie Lau, who rose to prominence in the seventies and eighties was sort of a, he was the first, uh, really the first celebrity hitting coach who taught this kind of swing and there's a bunch of reasons as to why if you go back far enough into the beginning of baseball history the very beginning the dead ball year the early 20th century uh, it made sense to do that the ball was not designed to fly far in the air the home runs were not really part of the game fields didn't have fences or if they did the fences were sometimes incredibly far away uh, so there was really no incentive to hit the ball in the air the incentive to hit the ball on the ground because that was how the ball traveled. That's why it was called the dead ball era for a reason. Also, infielders didn't wear gloves back then, so it was very hard to field. If you look at the history of baseball, the seasons with the most errors, they are pretty much entirely between the, you know, the years of 1880 and 1920, all of them, because good luck trying to field a baseball with uh, no gloves. <laughs> so that's where it started, and that just sort of continued... On and on throughout baseball history, this was the ideal swing, hit the ball down, hit the ball on the ground, Uh, and that has changed dramatically in recent years, thanks uh, in part to some of these really renegade coaches that I wrote about in this book.
0: But you did talk in the book about a little blips on the screen. Well, there are big blips. One is Babe Ruth. And you, and I love the comment when you talked about Cobb and Ruth were arguing over who you know about the different game about what Ruth was doing because he was different outside what he, what he was hitting the ball up and then Ted Williams and Ted Williams had the same type of swing that we're using today back in the you know you said you said in the book the science of hitting uh, on page forty seven he wrote up and away so the point is that there were two of the greatest players to ever play the game are doing what they're doing now but somehow it just didn't get adopted and I'm surprised that about that.
1: Yeah, that was one of my biggest questions as I went through this. Start with Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth uh, turned the home run into the attraction that it is. I would argue that the home run remains, to this day, the most impressive, most sort of inspiring, captivating feat in all of American sports. It is the home run. It has captured people's imaginations uh, for over for a century. And it started with Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth made the home run. Exciting! It made he made baseball what it is in part because he came, started hitting home runs, it was in a constant—I wouldn't say a feud because they weren't actually arguing, but a philosophical feud with Ty Cobb, who was the great sort of pre-live ball era hitter who hit the ball on the ground and and sort of guided the ball with his bat and was a real artist. You know, Ty Cobb was an artist. Babe Ruth was more of a blunt force instrument in some ways, and and Ty Cobb. He resented Babe Ruth in some ways because he felt that baseball, the game that he grew up playing in the early 20th century, from an aesthetic standpoint, he played it the right way, and Babe Ruth was just all about power, and that wasn't what baseball was supposed to be about. Clearly, we know who won uh, based on attendances and who became uh, you know an all-time American figure in Babe Ruth. And then comes Ted Williams years later, in the 40s and 50s, in 30s, late 30s, hitting all these home runs hitting the way he did, he wrote a book in 1970 called The Science of Hitting where he says, essentially what I just said, which is, you were probably taught that the ideal swing is down or level, but in reality the ideal swing is slightly up on a 10 degree angle, and I tried to hit every single ball I ever hit in the air. So I thought, well, why did that not become mainstream? Ted Williams wrote about it 50 (laughs) years ago. Well, there's a few reasons. I think the most compelling one is that for, for whatever reason, People said, well, that's Ted Williams, and Ted Williams is a freak. Ted Williams is different. A normal mere mortal can't do what Ted Williams does. That might work for you with your superhuman vision and sort of just general natural ability, but a real normal human being needs to hit this way. And that makes no sense, uh, obviously, because what other industry do you not model yourself after the best? That's what I would do in pretty much any other field. Get in baseball, that wasn't the case for a long time, except uh, for the people that sort of were aware that maybe we should be teaching this. And they were kind of forced to the outside uh, until now.
0: We're talking to Jared Diamond, author of Swing Kings, the inside story of baseball's home run revolution. And in the past year, over 1,000 home runs were, were hit, uh, more than, than the, the previous record, which just shows what – it's happening with baseball with home runs, and of course we had more strikeouts than ever. But the one thing, we're down here at West Palm Beach with the golf, talking about golf, and uh, everybody has a swing coach. Everybody, and then the swing coaches in golf for the pros. There's the Butch Harmons and the Hank Haney's, and, and it's natural to have coaches – but in baseball, it's not like it was almost like, I mean, people were going to these people that we're going to get into that you're going to talk about. It's like, you know, back alleys and, and batting cages after hours uh, down, down abandoned roads. <laughs> it, it, was, it's, it wasn't common. And it's like, oh, no, you got to use our coach that we have on our team. Don't use anybody else. Whereas you see it in basketball and football. Everybody has there's coach passing gurus and shooting gurus in basketball and, of course, golf coaches. For some reason, baseball was different.
1: It is weird. In, in fact, in the introduction, the prologue to the science of hitting, Ted Williams' book, he writes that one of the maybe the primary reason or one of the primary reasons he wanted to write a book at all was because he felt that the golf swing had been subject to great scientific study about how to do it better, and the baseball swing had never been held up to that kind of scrutiny. So Ted Williams felt that way 50 years ago about comparing the golf swing to the baseball swing, which I think is really interesting. Uh, baseball is a weird culture where it's extremely insular. Uh, The only way to sort of work in baseball for most of baseball history was to have played Major League Baseball yourself. If you didn't play baseball yourself, you were essentially viewed as not qualified to coach it. The the qualifications for coaching in Major League Baseball for most of its history was very simple. It was you played Major League Baseball and you were friends with the manager. (laughs) Those were the only... Those are the only pieces of criteria, I and mean, that was it. Um, that's changed now, but for a long time, that's what it was, and golf uh, was ahead of baseball in this way, and many other sports were. It took uh, it took way too long for baseball to recognize that playing and teaching are different skills, and maybe should be done by, in some cases, different people.
0: So the one of the – you feature four or five – Of these gurus, but they are very strange people. I mean, Craig Wallenbrock, who you call the Oracle of Santa Clarita, who I have never heard about. And when you read the book, you're like, well, he is the master of this whole new swing. I mean, he, what a, he was selling sugar and corn syrup to bakeries and dairy companies. Um, he started out throwing batting practice for some baseball pitchers, and now suddenly he's the one who and it's and it's like when people train with him. What's so interesting in the book was you talk about how people would go to him, they would work with him, and they come back and they couldn't tell anyone. I'm not going to tell you why I'm swinging so well. And uh, but it was like they all of them, two Bob, two Bobby, Tewksbury had all these. They were they were just strange out of the mainstream people and baseball just and people even who trained with them could tell people in baseball what they were doing.
1: It was, that was the culture for most of baseball history was if you worked with someone from the outside, someone like Craig Wallenbroth, you essentially had to keep it quiet because it was dangerous. You, it would be seen as disrespectful to the team. or Somehow it would be seen as radical. Baseball doesn't really care for radicals. Uh, baseball likes, is a quite conservative culture in many ways. And to be sort of that outside of the mainstream in baseball is dangerous. Uh, at least it was for much of the game's history. Craig Wallenbrock is sort of the definition of a of a radical. He is a fascinating, fascinating individual, someone that I was so thrilled to have a chance to write about because he's just so interesting. He quit baseball when he was about twenty years old, moved down to the coast in San Diego becomes a full-time surfer, described himself as a, quote, pot-smoking hippie. <laughs> and I was the guy that would become, to me, the godfather of everything that's gone on in with the baseball swing. He was working with so many great players throughout the 90s and 2000s, quietly worked with guys like Chase Utley and Michael Young and Ryan Braun. Uh, it's a long list of just players that he was working with, Paul Canerco, working with that no one knew. And it took uh, until the last... Mm, six or seven years where anyone in the mainstream knew about Craig Wallenbrock. And uh, again, I don't want to spoil too much about the book, but suffice it to say that in the baseball industry now, everybody knows who Craig Wallenbrock
0: is. <laughs> well, and you mentioned how it was like when we're well, just gonna focus on Wallenberg for a second, is about so he worked with J- Castro, Jason Castro, and Castro starts hitting well, and then J.D. Martinez is on Martinez is on the the Astros team is like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And he kept like hammering Castro for months, like, what's your secret? What's your secret? And Castro, you know, finally was worn down and admitted, you know, where he's learning it from. And it was like so not even though it wasn't like Wallenberg is going on uh, TV and talking on MLB Network or anything, or people were talking about him. It was like so underground in terms. Of what you could do to get it. And it was like, and it took all these players. You mentioned Doug Latta with Marlon Bird and working with these players that everyone thought was done. And they started playing great. And then people were like, what's the secret? Why are you hitting it like this? Where are you learning this? And that's how the word got out.
1: Yeah, it was really a word of mouth thing. It sort of spread and spread. And Jason Castro telling JD Martinez about it is really where it started. Because JD Martinez uh, was revolutionary. What he did, the, the success. JD Martinez has had after working with Craig Wallenbrock is, it's truly unbelievable. Uh, JD Martinez was, he was done. His, His baseball career, major league career was based on the verge of being over. He just was not having success. Uh, he was struggling. He was not going to make it, uh, until he met Craig Wallenbrock. And then he came back after working with Craig Wallenbrock and has been a superstar ever since, which is absolutely incredible. It shows the, what you can do with better technique. But once J.D. Martinez started talking about Craig Wallenbrock, he was really the first one to do so publicly in the mainstream. He uh, was out there, and it's what I first learned, when I first started learning about Craig in these stories. And uh, it turned out J.D. was not alone.
0: We're talking to Jared Diamond, Swing Kings, the inside story of baseball's home run revolution, because everybody thinks it's like the ball. And you mentioned how, like, the ball change has something, but it's definitely how these batters are, are taking approach to swinging. And, and so all these gurus are there and they're helping people with words getting in. But, and I know you don't want to give away the, the whole book, but it definitely was this series where Wallenbrock at points, you know, the White Sox had him in their organization and then just, you know, told him to go away. But there was that, that. You would, but I thought that more with all these analytic guys that have been coming into baseball the last four or five years, that, that they would have embraced this new type of, of teaching. But it seems like they, you know, it, it took a while to get the Wallenbrock ideas into actually being coaches.
1: It did. Craig Wallenbrock uh, was through a unusual sort of situation. Was brought into the White Sox organization back in uh, 2005, and essentially was not. He basically just wasn't welcome, and he was quickly dismissed. Sort of an interesting story how that all went down. Um, but what ended up did happening was those outsiders we were talking about from the Moneyball era. They were the ones that eventually had and openness to these other kind of coaches. It took time. It didn't happen right away, but it did happen. It, it did happen eventually. Um, these were sort of interesting people who had one time been outsiders themselves at one point in their lives, these outside GM candidates who came in after Moneyball came out and they started saying, well, you know what? I was an outsider once. Maybe there's uh, outsiders that we could bring into other areas of the organization. They were the ones who started bringing these people in. It took a long time, but it did happen. And it's happening now.
0: Yeah, and you, what I'm interested is that all these quote outsiders I mean, how much? I mean, these players are making hundreds of millions of dollars. And contracts, 20, $30 million a year, and it's, they're getting it because of their swing. And you would think that the, that the teams themselves would have invested more into this. And also, you, the way these outsiders, where you have them, they're like, you know, as I said, Wallenbrocks and, and Lada's gyms, and they're, they're just batting cages in the middle of nowhere. They aren't at these famous tech, like when you think about like Tim Grover used to work with Michael Jordan, had these great complexes. They're, they are like how much were they charging? Like were, you would think that they would be getting millions of dollars from the all these players because really the swing is what's making these players their money.
1: Huh. They were not. Many <laughs> of these guys were just so thrilled to have major league clients start amplify them, but they were happy just to uh to have that and sort of use it as uh marketing essentially. You know, that wasn't always the case these guys are getting paid uh certainly not as much as the players, but These were guys that really changed baseball in a really profound way. And someone like Greg Wallenbrock absolutely does deserve uh, everything that he's finally getting because the success that he's had with so many players over the years, it is truly incredible. But yeah, it took a long time to happen for him.
0: Do you see anything? I mean, your book focused on the hitting side of it, and you, you hinted a little bit in about pitching. But where do you see? Are, are there? Where are those pitching gurus that might be now able to counterbalance the hitting gurus that are out there?
1: Oh, well, they exist. Uh, you look at places like Drive Line and some of these other uh, outside places. Oh, they're out there for sure. And now that hitting has sort of had having its moment, pitching is going to have to respond like it always does. Baseball is, as anyone knows who follows the game, is this never-ending cat-and-mouse game uh, with, with the, these two groups trying to one-up each other. And pitchers have had the advantage for a long time. Hitters are just now finally starting to sort of close that gap a little bit, and the moment they do, pitchers will come right back and uh, close it again. That's, it goes like on like that forever and ever and ever. It's one of the beauties of baseball but in all aspects of the game because of technology and because of all this other stuff uh, it's happening in unexpected places and that's what fascinated me so much about the story at all was the idea that innovation sometimes happens in places you don't expect not just in baseball but really in any industry That sometimes the most interesting innovation happens in the place you'd least expect
0: well, I mean, your book was fantastic. I encourage everybody. It's on, available on Amazon, on uh, Kindle. I'm sure, you know, Barnes & Noble Online, all the different things. The book is called Swing Kings, the Inside Story of Baseball's Home Run Revolution. The uh, William Morrow Press. Uh, Jared Diamond is the national baseball writer for The Wall Street Journal. Well, Jared, thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thank you. And thanks to everyone out there. I know these are tough times. Uh, this book is, you know, the 10 millionth most important thing going on uh, in the world right now but you know for people who are in the position to check it out I hope it provides a little bit of a nice distraction from everything else going on in the world and a taste of the game that we're all missing right now.
0: Well, I appreciate it. It's a great book, too. It was a great read, and you just get immersed in it. And as I've been encouraging all my, all my listeners, uh, read books. Read books with your children and your grandparents. Everybody should be reading it. So like a, This type of book, you should be reading like chapter by chapter and then talking about it when you're done. It's a chance to get back to reading because uh, you're you know, it's just stuck in a home and nothing to do, but you think you can read, read a book, and, and I think that's great, and your book is fantastic. So, again, thank you so much for coming on Iron Sports.
1: Thank you so much.